came together. She found she was with child of the Holy Spirit. Now we have to stop there for a second and talk about this word betrothed. This is not a word we use a lot in today's language. A lot of people just simply says it means they were engaged. It's a stronger word than that. You know, in today's society, this word being engaged doesn't carry as much weight as it used to. Betrothed. They were basically husband and wife, except they had not yet consummated the marriage. They, had, they are betrothed to each other, united together. They were one in that sense, but yet not fully. So this is more than just, hey, we set a date, we're going to get married. They were basically husband and wife, like I said, except they hadn't consummated the marriage. So Mary comes. She said she's with child of the Holy Spirit. Now just, just stop and think for a second. We're so used to the Christmas story. We're so used to this idea and concept of the virgin birth. You have to put yourself in Joseph's position. Here he is. Mary comes to him. First off says, number one, I'm pregnant. Okay, that's hard news to hear. Number two, I'm pregnant with the Son of God. Now, Joseph is put in a very difficult position. Most people believe that Mary at this age could have been as young as 14 Maybe 15, 16 years old. These guys were kids. And so here this news is dropped. I'm pregnant, and I'm pregnant with the Son of God. Now think about that for a second. Marriage is difficult enough as it is. Starting your marriage out with your wife being pregnant with the Messiah. Your role is to be stepdad to God. That is a lot to try to take in. Look at verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, some of your translations may say a righteous man, a good man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Joseph could have brought her before the leadership of the Jews at this time. He could have made accusations against her. Here she is. She's pregnant. I know the child is not mine. He didn't. He decided, verse 19, to put her away secretly. That's the best he could have done in a very difficult situation at that time. But verse 20, while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you. You marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she'll bring forth a son, and he shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. God appears to him, or I should say the angel appears to him in a dream, and tells him it's going to be okay. Now, I don't want to belittle this point, but we have to stop here and really understand this. I Once again, I think as a Christmas message, we're so used to this. These are possibly young kids, teenagers. All of a sudden, Joseph is told, I'm pregnant, but the child is God's. Not yours, it's God's. That is a lot to try to handle. First point that we have to make today. If God ever puts you in a difficult situation, he's also going to give you the strength and the wisdom to handle the difficult situation. So, Joseph is put in a difficult situation. God knew Joseph's heart. He knew Joseph could handle this. He knew Joseph was a just man, a righteous man, a good man. I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of men that would not have handled that well. Joseph did. The Lord knew he could use Joseph in that situation. So point one, if God puts you in a tough spot, he'll give you the strength to do it. If you came in here this morning and you're in a tough spot in life, God knows that. And he'll also give you the strength to handle that. Number two, he appears to Joseph, says, don't worry. Call the child Jesus, verse 21. Do this. Take her as your wife. Verse 24, Joseph, being aroused from the sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him to his wife. Look at that phrase in verse 24. Did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Joseph is a man of obedience. He did it. 
He did it. No questions asked. He did it. Dream number one, take Mary as your wife, and this man did it. Joseph is an example of doing. Too often as Christians, the Lord lays something on our heart, what we're supposed to do, and we just wait and we do it in our time frame, when we want to, how we want to. Joseph did it. What a difficult situation this is. And Joseph steps up and does it. But the story continues. Go to Matthew chapter 2. Now what you have here, Jesus being born in Matthew chapter 2, you have the wise men coming, and you have that, that manger scene of the wise men and all that other type of stuff. But look at verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Dream number two. Joseph, get out. Go to Egypt. There's danger coming. There's harm coming. It's time to go. Now, Joseph, once again, is put in a difficult situation. What an interesting time they're in. The child at this time, most people believe Jesus was probably, you know, under two years old. What an interesting beginning. Born in the stable, wise men come. As the child's a little older, the shepherds arrive at the birth. Now you need to go. And look what happens, verse 14. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. It sure looks like, verse 13, the angel appears at night telling Joseph to go. Verse 14, he leaves by night. It sure looks like Joseph took off that night. What an amazing situation. Took off that night. Once again, you see obedience. We have a little phrase in the Irvin household. Delayed obedience is disobedience. If, if we ask you as the parents to do something, hey, pick up your coat. And they do it on their time frame, when they want, what have you. That's delayed obedience. That's the same as disobedience. But you know what? As Christians, aren't we full of delayed obedience? I don't know how many times people come up to me and they're struggling with the situation. And I say, well, what does the Lord want you to do? And they can answer. I feel the Lord wants me to do this. Okay, have you done it? No, not yet. I'll get to it. Delayed obedience. We know what the Lord has called us to do. We know what's on our heart. We know it. But we don't do it. It sure looks like Joseph that night said, we're leaving. Now, if I was Joseph's position in verse 13, I'd have a lot of questions. Arise, flee to Egypt. Why? Stay there until I bring you word. When do I get to come back? Why am I going? What's going on? Fill me in. See, so often in our walk with the Lord, we're willing to be obedient when God gives us every detail of information. Joseph shows that he just obeyed. In the middle of the night. We talked about the first conversation with Mary and him. Can you imagine this one? Joseph waking Mary up in the middle of the night saying, We need to go. And we need to go now. Now, I know what it's like to try to move. That's awful. Trying to move now with a kid? That's awful. Move in the middle of the night? I mean, don't you think Mary said, Well, how long are we staying? Where are we going? I mean, do I pack for a day? Do I pack for... I mean, are we moving? I mean, do you ever have those conversations with your spouse where you just realize you are completely and utterly not on the same page? Dawn and I had a conversation like that not too long ago. We were standing in the kitchen talking about something, and something popped up about a time frame. And I mentioned to her, I don't remember you ever doing this or having this. What it is doesn't really matter. And she goes, in the 15 years you've known me, she goes, have you ever seen me do that? In the 15 years you know me. Now, I heard that, and I stopped for a second. I thought, wait a second. We've been married over 17 years, and we went to school together before that. I asked her, I said, in the 15 years you know me, I said, 
Dawn, we've been married 17 years, and we went to school for years before that. She goes, I don't remember school, because I just don't remember that. And she goes, in the first couple years of our marriage was forgettable. That's what she told me. <laughs> I am I'm married to a pagan. I mean, that's what it comes down to. So I know what husband-wife conversations are like. And, and I just envision Joseph waking Mary up saying, we're leaving and we're leaving now. Pack up the kid. Pack up everything. we got to go. That's obedience. And it's obedience in a difficult situation. I mean, think about this. Moving at night, difficult situation. Going to Egypt? I mean, what good Jewish man wants to take his family to Egypt? No. You stay close to Jerusalem. You stay close to the temple. That's where we're supposed to be. No, God says, go, you go. God says, do it, you do it. No questioning, no arguing, no nothing. And even more than that, go to Egypt. But look at the rest of verse 13. Stay there until I bring you word. My first question would be long. How, how long do I stay? God doesn't say. He says, just stay. Sometimes going is difficult, but sometimes staying is just as difficult. Maybe you're in a situation right now where you want to go and God's saying no. I know people that you may want to be out of a work situation. You may be looking and praying for that different job. God may say, no, I want you here. This is where I've called you. This is where there's a ministry opportunity. I want you here. Stay. Maybe you're in a marriage and you're looking for the exit door as quick as you can. God may say, no, stay. Sometimes staying is just as hard or harder than going. So they go to Egypt, middle of the night. They stay in Egypt until the Lord says to go back. Now, why do they go to Egypt? We know why, because in verses 16 through 18, Herod, he goes and kills all the young children, two years and under, the young boys. God, in his divine wisdom and providence, got them out of there. God knows what he's doing. I mean, the Lord knows exactly when to call us, when to tell us to stay, when to go. The question comes up of, do we listen? We have a tendency sometimes as human beings to analyze and do things according to our wisdom and intellect of what we feel is best. It's almost like we take the Lord's idea and we appreciate his insight and we appreciate his two cents. But Lord, I'll really stop and think about this and decide what's best. My goodness. Joseph teaches us, if God says go, we go. If God says stay, we stay. We can learn from that. Our own opinions, wisdom, and intellect are pointless. Do you realize how often we mess something up because we have analyzed the situation and have deemed it to do this? You know, a lot of times people come up to me and say, well, I know why they did this. I know what they're thinking. I know what's going on. Be careful with those statements. You may have a good idea. You may have a good background. But to say you know emphatically, you may be right, but you also may be wrong. We've got to be careful with that. I had a situation a few months ago where I knew what to do. About three months ago, I think it was, I was going out, getting ready to come out to church. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and I go out, and I hear this really strange noise, and I look in the ditch in front of my house. There's a truck, literally in the ditch. And this guy is in this truck, and he's just flooring his truck. As much as he can. And the engine's just revving. The wheels are spinning. He's not going anywhere. Obviously, something's wrong. You can look down the road and you can see tracks where he was in the ditch for a while and he eventually just got stuck. I run out there, try to get his attention. He's not paying any attention to me. His hands are on the steering wheel and he's just flooring the truck. Knocking on the window, tapping on the window, banging on the window. Finally get him to look at me. And he's completely out of it. This guy's just wasted. Completely out of it. So, finally get him to at least unlock the door. 
get the door open. The truck is on such an angle, I can't get him out. Guy pulls up, and he says, is this guy okay? And I said, I don't know. And he goes, well, I've been following him for a while here. And he goes, the guy's just drunk. He's swerving all over the road. He's all over everything. So the guy drives off. I call 911 and say, i got a truck in the ditch. i got a guy here. He's not responsive. And this guy, by this time, had just completely passed out. He's over on the other side of the um, truck side. He's down on the floor in the fetal position, just completely out of it, completely out of it. So, waiting for the police. Another truck pulls up. This guy okay? I said, I, you know, I don't know. We called the police. We're waiting to hear. And the guy in the truck says, looks like the guy's just completely wasted. I said, yeah, I, I know. Another truck pulls up then. He says, this guy okay? Well, I think this guy's wasted, you know. I said, look at him. He's passed out in there. He's driven down. You can see he's driven down the ditch. He's stuck in the ditch. He's just passed out. I mean, just completely sleeping like a baby. I said, the guy's just a drunk. Cop shows up. Is this guy okay? Well, you know, I think, I think the guy's drunk. Cop and I go open up the door, and the guy's in there. You can't get him out. I mean, he's obviously a, a full-grown man, and the angle of it, you can't just pull him out. So we open up the door, and I, and I say, yeah, I think the guy's just completely drunk here. You know, 4 o'clock in the afternoon type thing. Cop gets in there, and he looks, and he goes, I don't think this guy's drunk. He goes, this guy's a diabetic. He had diabetic needles in the back, and he goes, this guy's insulin's not right. Well, I'm an idiot. You know, I'm, I'm telling people, here's a drunk guy, because I know he's drunk. He's swerving all over the road. He's in my ditch. He's grabbing his car. He's passed out. I mean, of course, he's drunk. How do I know that? Because I'm an expert, I guess, on all things. And so I can analyze, I can analyze every situation and tell you exactly what's going on. No, I'm an idiot. That's what it comes down to. And so here's this guy, and we find out later this guy was on the way to see his wife in the hospital because his wife's not doing good. He was just leaving work, and he's a diabetic, and he was going to a diabetic home. I mean, just all this. And I'm just telling everybody he's a drunk. See, sometimes we have this tendency to analyze, look, think, figure it out, and we have all the answers. We don't know anything. Joseph, as far as we can tell, didn't ask God in verse 13, why are we leaving And when are we allowed to come back? Are you sure it's that big a deal? Can't I just stay? No. He just obeyed and went. And you see, he went and he obeyed. Guess what happened? Verse 19, Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. I just want to stop for a second. This is dream number three. If you were Joseph, wouldn't you just ask the Lord one time, can't we talk at noon? I mean, just this idea. At night... Verse 20, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the young child's life or dead. Okay, you get to go back. See, this is the first time in verse 20 where we see Joseph getting a little bit of freedom. First dream, take her as a wife, call his name Jesus. Okay? Second dream, go to Egypt. Okay? Third one, you get to go to Israel. Finally, I get to go back. And, And where does he go? Well, verse 21, he rose, took the young child and his mother, and came to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, stopped, he went to Judea. Now, why would he go to Judea? We know from the book of Luke, when the census came that brought Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, one of the requirements was that you had to go to your hometown. So where did Joseph go when he had the freedom to go to Israel here in verse 20? He went to his hometown. Why wouldn't you go there? That's where you're from. You know, it's not that far away from um, Jerusalem. Why would you not go where you're comfortable? 
Verse 22, when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, dream number four, he turned aside from the region of Galilee and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Do you ever feel like you had a moment where you finally got to make a decision? And you finally got to choose something and it looked like it was going to all work out just to have it ripped away from you. People, that happens a lot. And what happens generally at the time is people get mad at God. Well, why would God give this to me just to take this away from me? Why would the Lord allow this to happen if he knew it was going to be a horrible job? Why would the Lord bring him and I together if he knew he was going to be an awful husband? And all this other type of stuff that we start blaming God for everything. And instead of looking at the Lord as a loving father, instead of looking at the Lord as a savior who died on the cross for your sins, he's the mean, angry guy that lives upstairs that any time, any time you start to have fun in life, he just wants to nip it in the bud. That's God. Oh, you're having a good time? Let's make it rain on your parade. Joseph got to choose, it looks like. Why would he not choose Judea? That's his hometown. I'm assuming that's where his family was, but instead he has to go to Nazareth. Now, if you study out the Bible, Nazareth is on the wrong side of the tracks. In fact, when they find out that Jesus is from Nazareth, one of the disciples said to the other disciple, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's the way they thought about Nazareth. So it's not like, oh, you're just going to go live in Nazareth. It's like, oh, where are you from? Nazareth. Oh. Oh. Nazareth. No. That's, I'm assuming it's not where Joseph wanted to go. I think he wanted to go to Judea, his hometown. Instead, he goes to Nazareth. You know what that shows me about Joseph? He is willing to put his own personal desires on hold to say, what does the Lord want me to do? Every one of you coming in here today has something that you want, that you want to work out. You want that person to like you. You want that job to work out. You want that money to come through. You want it to all come together. You want to go to Judea. But the Lord says, go to Nazareth. Now, what are you going to do about that? Joseph went to Nazareth. Unbeknownst to Joseph, I don't think he understood this. He's fulfilling prophecy. He was just being obedient. So when we look at Joseph, you can kind of sum up his life very simply put. When God says go, he goes. When God says stay, he stays. Now how simple is that? Backtrack this. All the way back to the beginning. He's a good guy. Finds out Mary's pregnant. Listen to the story one more time. I'm pregnant with the child of God. You still want to get married? No. But he's a good guy. He wants to put her away secretly. The Lord reveals dream number one. Take her as your wife. It's going to be okay. Call him Jesus. You get to be stepdad to the Messiah. Dream number two, flee Egypt. Not telling you when you get to come back, but you need to go and go now. No questions asked. Obedience. He did it. Dream number three, you get to go back to Israel. Finally, we get to go back home, start our life, prepare our life. We're going to go to Judea. That's where we like. Nope, you don't get to go to Judea. Dream number four, go to Nazareth. Nazareth. See, Joseph shows me the ups and downs of life. God says, go, I go. God says, stay, I stay. See, now, some of us, myself included, I like to argue with the Lord on some of these things. Joseph shows me complete obedience to God. Complete obedience to God. You know, obviously Mary had a special calling on her life, no doubt about that. Joseph had just the same special calling. 
You know, there's only two people in the world, Mary and Joseph, that got a chance to fully understand and grasp Jesus, fully God and fully man. I mean, they, they got a chance to see all these little funny things. I mean, does that not ever happen to you if your parents out there with, with your kids, your kids does your kid does something you find funny, and you think, My kid's the greatest kid in the world. No other kid's ever been as cute as my kid. My boys like to take the cushions off the couch and they make these little jumping platforms I've shared with you before. And so what happens is they get on the couch and they kind of just jump off the couch onto the platforms. Well, Tyrus, our youngest one, who's uh, about 20 months, coming up to 20 months, he sees the boys do that. So he gets on the couch. He doesn't understand the whole catch yourself. He just goes and falls face first. Gets up, laughs, does it again. (laughs) I find it cute. I could watch him do that all afternoon. You guys come over to my house. Oh, that's cute, James. No, watch it again. Oh, James, that's cute. No, watch it again. He's going to do it for an hour straight. No, it's not as cute to you. Jesus, Mary and Joseph got to see God as man. Joseph had the personality that could take the wife that's pregnant with the Son of God. Joseph could... Say, fine, we'll call him Jesus. I don't even get to say what he's called. Joseph is the guy that says, go to Egypt, I'll go to Egypt. Stay in Egypt, I'll stay in Egypt. Okay, go back to Israel, good, I'll go to Judea. No, go to Nazareth. This man was a good man. And this man was a man that obviously the Lord saw a personality that says, I can work with this, I can use this, I can mold this. I think sometimes the biggest hindrance to us going deeper in our walk in relationship with Christ is our own arrogance and pride. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. It doesn't work that way. My loving Father, who has a wonderful plan for my life, will reveal that and I will trust it. Some of you may be saying, I've trusted that wonderful plan and look where I'm at. Do you think Joseph wanted to go to Egypt? you think Joseph wanted to go live in Nazareth? Dare I even say, do you think Joseph wanted to marry the girl that was pregnant with someone else's child? He was obedient, and with that obedience, he was blessed. So when we look at Christmas, it's easy to focus on Jesus in the manger. Obviously, that's number one. It's easy to look at the story of Mary and Gabriel and the shepherds and the wise men. But Joseph, Joseph is a man that we can relate to. No divine thing really going on. A man that just when God said go, he went, and when God said stayed, he stayed, and we can learn from that. So there's two things I want to say here to close up. Number one, if you're born again and saved here this morning, I just encourage you to trust your Heavenly Father. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you brought in this morning. Maybe you brought in some anger, some frustration, some bitterness. We talked Wednesday at church. The first description of Christmas in Isaiah chapter 9 is it's wonderful. I hear people tell me all the time, I hate Christmas. And I always correct them. You don't hate Christmas. You hate what Christmas has become. The idea of Christmas, of God loving you so much that he sent his son down in the form of a man, is wonderful. Wonderful. What Christmas has become, not wonderful, but still a beautiful season. So if you are walking with the Lord right now, I encourage you, whatever position you're in, trust and obey. 
That's where the Lord wants you to be. When he says, go, go. When he says, stay, stay. Whatever lot you have in life, accept that and realize the Lord will give you the strength, the wisdom, and the guidance to get through it, just like he did with Joseph. Now, number two, if you're here this morning and and maybe you're not walking with the Lord, you're not right with him, you're not saved. I'm not here to pick, I'm not here to attack, I'm here to tell you in a very loving way. The reason we celebrate this day is because God did care enough to send Jesus down for us. And when you really look at it from that perspective, I don't know what your envisionment of God is, the big mythical man that lives upstairs, and how silly of us to think that he even exists. Or maybe we look at him as just angry and mean, and the only thing he likes to do is take everything away from people. If that's your concept of God, I just encourage you, really learn who he is. God's a God of love, grace, and mercy. And what a beautiful thing that is. And if that's something that you have questions about, and then if that's something you don't like and you want to tell me that, grab me after church. I'd love to get a chance to talk to you. Because I think it's important as we look at Christmas, it's so easy as a society to let Christmas become something that it's not. Every Christmas program I watch, there's this little phrase that they throw out there saying, that's the real meaning of Christmas. But no one ever says Jesus is the real meaning of Christmas. It's kind of like we have a holiday where we just kind of skip the guy's birthday type thing, you know? Let's focus on what really matters. And let's focus on this idea of God caring enough to send his son down to say, here's a problem that you can't take care of, and I love you enough to step in and take care of it for you. Same thing still happens today. If you brought any burdens or baggage in with you today, God is a loving God that wants to step in and say, I can help take care of that for you. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Jesus said, I've come to this world that you may have peace. I've come to this world that you may have joy. And that's what we want to celebrate here. Marv, if you want to come forward for the final song. I just want to appreciate you guys coming out.